If you would, please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Today we'll be looking at Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Psalm 150. We read at the very beginning of this psalm, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. And then at the, the concluding part of the psalm, we read, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. May the Lord enable every one of us gathered here this morning in His good providence, by His grace, to praise the Lord. Now, in this praise psalm, and this hallelujah psalm, and that's exactly what hallelujah means. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. In this short psalm, just six verses, and yet we read praise him or praise the Lord 13 times. And in every sentence, in each phrase, the sweet psalmist of Israel writes the expression praise him or praise ye the Lord. And beloved, this is the life of the believer, that being a life of praising worshiping and giving glory unto God alone for his great salvation. And beloved, this is just not something that believers do. Further, beloved, this, this is our delight. It's our delight to both honor and praise the Lord. A good example of that is when our risen Lord, it says in Luke chapter 24, and it came to pass while the risen Lord blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And that, beloved, because our Lord is worthy of all honor and all glory. See, this is not merely something that believers do. Rather, beloved, we delight to do that. We delight to honor our great God who saved his people to the uttermost. And we've seen this repeatedly throughout our study of the book of the Psalms. Uh, look at uh, Psalm 34. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 1. This is what believers delight to do. You see, it's not something we suffer to do. Rather, this is what believers delight to do. And David writes in Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And that because he's in my heart. Verse 2, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Isn't that our desire, beloved? To honor, to glorify, to worship, to lift up and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God declares, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You see, true worship is the effect of the revelation of the glory of God in the heart. And thank God he commanded the light to shine out of darkness, to shine in our dark, dead hearts, and to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, he takes our dark, dead hearts and he opens them by his power that we might behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And beloved, because he's revealed himself unto us, we worship him and we desire to worship him. And that's how God's word describes the true believer. For we are the circumcision. This is what the Apostle Paul says. We are the circumcision. We're the true Israel of God, circumcision of the heart by the hand of God. And because of that faith by the oper operation of God, we worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, only a true believer, only a true sinner can worship God. That's right. Only a believing sinner can truly worship God. For God seeketh such to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, in the book of the Psalms, in these concluding five Psalms, we see here how they all begin and they all end with praise ye the Lord. And we're blessed to know how that that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, for he himself is the beginning and the end of all things. And that in creation, and that in providence, and that in salvation. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. For of him and through him and to him are all things. 
to whom be glory forever. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, is the author and finisher of our faith and of all of, and all of our salvation. And by God's grace, we know that salvation is of the Lord and salvation comes from only him and him only. You see, my friend, salvation is not from the bottom up, but rather ever so blessedly it is from the top down and it's of the Lord God and of him only. And that means salvation originates with him. For he's the executor of salvation, he's the applier of salvation, and he's the sustainer of salvation. And everything is from him and to him and for his glory. One old preacher of the past observes, quote, Jehovah, the one God, should be the one object of adoration. To give the least particle of his honor to another is shameful treason. To refuse to render all honor and glory to him is heartless robbery. Beloved, the glory, the power, the majesty of our great Lord and God demands, and rightly so, all honor and all glory. Now, in the book of the Psalms, in the, in the first Psalm, it begins with, Blessed is the man that finds his delight in the word of the Lord. And the last Psalm ends with, what the, what the blessed man delights to do. Now, not, not the cursed man. I'm talking about the blessed man. The blessed man delights to worship and praise our great God, for he alone is worthy of it. Now, we, um, we started remarkably. We started our study in the book of the Psalms in November of 2017. And this morning, we conclude our study here in the book of the Psalms in May of 2017. And I trust that as we've gone through each psalm, that what the Lord declares in John chapter 6 could be said of you who hear his voice, despite the poverty of my preaching. Our Lord declares, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. (laughs) And that's so. That has happened during our time together in this study. Our Lord declares, the scriptures are they which testify of me. Remarkable, is it not? For those of you who may not be familiar with this moment recorded in the history of the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ is before Pharisees. And in that day, a Pharisee would be regarded as a minister, as a pastor, as someone who's supposed to know the word of God. And he rebuked them. He rebuked them. He said to them, you do not have God's word abiding in your hearts. And you've neither heard God's voice nor seen his shape. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. And I believe the context bears out that these were reprobate men. And he says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. I'm so thankful that God's people are taught that this book here, the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Christ. That's the one theme from Genesis to Revelation. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. What a remarkable moment. (laughs) Those Pharisees were in front of a real-life flesh-and-blood man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in effect, he told them the scriptures, the whole book, all of God's word. You want to know what it's about? You're looking at him right now. It's about me, God's well-pleasing son, the promised Christ. What a moment. Don't take it lightly, beloved, that you know this. You, you, you did not know this in your natural state. God reveals this to his people and only his people. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden this from the wise and prudent, but you've revealed this to your babes, your babes. Remarkable. And so that's my prayer, that as we've gone through these Psalms, every one of them, that the fulfillment of the prophecy that our Lord quoted from Isaiah, he said, it is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Who's the they? His sheep, his lambs his people, they'll all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, 
that hath heard and have learned of Joseph? No. Put in any pastor's name you want there. Every man that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. <laughs> our Lord declares the gospel of our salvation. How that he tells us the Father's will. He said, this is the Father's will, he who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last, at the last day. If you're his sheep, I'm, we're not trying to uh, twist people's arms here in this place. I just know this is so. If you're his sheep, you'll hear his voice. You'll come to him that you might have life. And it won't be a choice. <laughs> He'll leave you with no choice. You must come to him. What a blessing to learn, to be made to know, to be given an understanding that salvation is found believing on God's well-pleasing son. The very one of whom the Father declares, This is my well-pleasing Son, and whom I am well-pleased. Hear ye him. What a blessing. Hear ye him. Not hear ye a covenant agreement. You know, there are some local assemblies where they get you to sign an agreement. <laughs> Silly. Not hear ye a theological statement. Not hear ye my take on this or my take on that. But ever so blessedly hear ye him. My friend, bend the knee, kiss him, kiss the king who rules and reigns over all, over, over creation, over providence, over salvation. Uh, like we began in our study of the Psalms, that portion of Psalm 2, it says there in Psalm 2, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Put their trust in him. Now we've seen here how that the Psalms, they're all about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are they not? They're all about the gospel of well, God's well-pleasing Son. Our Lord declares in Luke chapter 24, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then Luke records, speaking of our risen Lord, he writes, the Lord opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Oh, that God would be pleased to open our understanding this morning, to enlighten our mind that we might see the Lord in his word. What a blessing that that would be for God the Holy Spirit to take his word once again to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ unto us afresh this morning. Thank God. Bless his holy name. He reveals himself to us again, again, and again. Beloved, by God's grace, we believe, we know and we hear and understand that the scriptures, the book of the Psalms, are all about the gospel of Christ, how that they're all about our good shepherd. Now, uh, most people in this country, they know of the 23rd Psalm, but sadly, most people who've read it or heard it read to them, sadly, they don't know the good shepherd it speaks of. And many times, the cause of that is men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Men who hold forth the word of God without setting forth the key to knowledge, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason they do not, they, they do that is because by nature they hate the author of the Bible. Remember our Lord said, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. And so since unlearned and unstable men don't love the author, they don't know the message of the Psalms. You see, they don't know our Good Shepherd. But our Lord, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, his sheep hear his voice through the preaching of the gospel. And he gives them eternal life. He gives them everything, and they shall never perish. The great shepherd of the sheep, he provides for the sheep completely and totally. You see, the Psalms are about the Lord Jesus Christ, his blessed people and his finished saving work for his people. Or rather, his, his blessed person and his finished saving work for his people. The Psalms are about his substitutionary death, 
how that he satisfied God's law and justice for us, both its demands for payment of all our sins and its demand for perfection. It's all about his doing and dying. We read Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross, Psalm 69, the Psalm of the Cross, and, and David speaks about the blessed man in Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, David writes there in verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And we know that's all owing to our sins being reckoned to the Lord Jesus Christ as a, as a believer's substitute. And so the Psalms are all about the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering, all-sufficient sacrifice for us. My friend, the Psalms are all about the righteous obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ for us, his righteous, obedient life and his righteous, obedient death upon the cross. Remember that Psalm that speaks of his righteousness? We make mention of the Lord's righteousness, of his righteousness only. We read in Psalm 71, Psalm 71, in verse 1 and 2, it says there, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness, in, in thy righteousness, in God's righteousness. You see that? And cause me to escape, incline thine ear down unto me, and save me. And then we read in Psalm 71, verse 15, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even of thine only. Blessed is that man whom the Lord imputeth righteousness without works. You see, the Psalms are all about Christ. And you could take that one theme of, about the righteous obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he's made unto us our righteousness. And that blessed message is set forth all the way through the Psalms, the righteousness of Christ. You see, salvation is not what we must do for him. That's not salvation but rather ever so blessedly salvation is what Christ has done for us. Turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 1, the very first psalm. I want to show you something there. All throughout God's Word, it sets forth that the Lord Jesus Christ shall not fail. That He's a sovereign, successful Savior. And... Uh, you look here in the latter part of Psalm 1 and verse 3. <laughs> what a blessed detail. For you this morning who are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for all your pardon of all your sins through his precious blood. For you this morning who are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ for all your holiness, all your perfection. Look to this blessed detail of what it says about God's well-pleasing Son. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. <laughs> Does that not cheer your heart this morning, beloved? To know that your Savior, your Lord, and your God shall save your sorry soul from hell. How's that? By his blood, he cleanses us truly and completely of all our sin, sinner. And through the life he lived on the earth, the life we would like to live that we can't, he lived for us. <laughs> we're set free, beloved. Set free. That's why the Word of God says, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set us free and be not entangled again in that yoke of bondage. He's paid the debt, beloved. and It's been paid in full. What debt? Well, the law demands payment for our transgressions and it demands payment for our iniquities. And he supplied them both. Um, Rock of Ages is my one of my favorite hymns. And our brother Top Lady, speaking about the double we received of the Lord's hands for all our sins and iniquities, he writes that stanza: "Let let the the blood and the water from thy wounded side which flowed be the double cure. <laughs> Save from wrath and make me pure." <laughs> oh, it's a it's a good gospel, is it not? 
He's a great Savior, and he doesn't almost save sinners. He saves sinners to the uttermost. Uttermost. Uh, it needs to, to be said again. Salvation is not what we must do for him. That's not salvation. But rather, ever so blessedly, salvation is what Christ has done for us. We read in Psalm 57, verse 2, it says there, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. And then in Psalm 92, verse 4, we read, For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works. And thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not. Neither doth a fool understand this, but his people do. By, by God's grace, his people do. You see, beloved, salvation is what he has done for us, not we, what we must do for Jesus. And in Psalm 98, verse 1, we read there, it says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he wins, beloved, we win. He's our majestic head, and just as his head is, so too is his blessed body. Just think of it, beloved. The whole reason of everything is that our great God does according to his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read there of the Father choosing, electing, and predestinating his people. And it says to the praise of the glory of his grace. And then it talks about the work of his Son, in whom we have redemption through his precious blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, to the praise of the glory of his beloved, well-pleasing Son. And the work of the Father choosing, and the work of the Son redeeming, and then it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in sealing and calling. And again, it says to the praise of his glory. You see, everything the triune God does in accomplishing our salvation is done so to his glory and to his praise. And my friend, we will either serve to glorify God's justice or we will serve to glorify God's mercy. It's one or the other. Everything will serve to glorify God. You see, you and I will either magnify his holy justice and eternal condemnation or will magnify his holy mercy and eternal salvation. But other, other way, God's going to get all the glory, and rightly so. Now, having said all that by way of review and introduction, let's look at Psalm 150, verse 1. It says here in God's only holy book, the Bible, Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Now, his sanctuary is the holy place. The holy place that was pictured back in the wilderness and the holy of holies, where the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, was found. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise ye the Lord. So who exactly is interested in honoring the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you who. It's believers. Believers are interested in worshiping him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We read in Psalm 146, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. I want to praise him. I want to honor him. And then in Psalm 147, verse 1, we read there, Praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant. And that praise, that worship, is calmly. It's, it's right. It's proper to honor and worship our great God. Now back to just a, a few Psalms earlier, Psalm 57, we read there in verse 7, My heart is fixed, 
O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. And because my heart has been fixed, I will praise him. You see, salvation's a heart work. Indeed, God's done a work of grace in our heart, and we'll look at that some more in a moment. But those who have a new heart given in that working of the Holy Spirit within us, he said, I'll take away that stony heart and I'll give them a heart of flesh, a new opened heart. And we, being believers, are partakers of the new nature. And those who have been made objects of his everlasting love, they delight to worship him. For he has loved us with an everlasting love. We love him, beloved, because he first loved us. And the believer will worship and honor the Lord in his sanctuary. Indeed, in, by, and through his holy son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to uh, Psalm 96. Believers will worship and honor the Lord in his sanctuary, in the beauty of holiness, or in the Holy One of Israel, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 96, verse 9, it says there, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear before him all the earth. And in the previous Psalm, Psalm 95, verse 6, we read, O come, let us worship and bow down. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not. Harden not your heart. He is our God, and we are his people, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. He made us. He made us. We didn't make ourselves, beloved. He made us. Turn to Psalm 100, uh, rather just 100. Psalm 100. And then look there with me in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He made us. And the believer will worship and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Holy One of God. Worship Jesus Christ as the true and living God? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Remember our brother Thomas? After eight days again, the Lord's disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus our Lord, and the doors being shut, stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. Then the Lord said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither my, thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. And Jesus, the Christ of God, saith unto Thomas, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Remember what our Lord said to those Pharisees? He said, if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer reminds us how that when the Father bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. The Father said, let all the angels of God worship his well-pleasing Son. And certainly that's directed to believers. Let all believers worship him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, for he's the Holy One of God. And in Psalm 89, we read there in verse 18, it says there, verse 18, For the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. And beloved, we don't, we don't make him king. He was born king. Indeed, he was king from before the foundation of the world. And so praise God in his sanctuary. Worship God in his sanctuary in the holy place. And that's how we approach God. And that's through, in, and by the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, and King. Our Lord declares in Hebrews chapter 4, Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may find or rather that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16.
Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's all the time, is it not? All the time. The Lord Jesus Christ is all the fullness of God and beloved, we're complete in him. And so worship him in his sanctuary. That's how we delight to approach unto God. And that's only through Christ, for he's the, 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 the Holy One of God, the Holy One of Israel. And so praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him in the expanse of his strength, in the reign of his rule. And notice the believer will praise the Lord because of the perfection of his holiness. And that's only in Christ and the righteousness of God's beloved Son through which we've been made accepted in him and that to the praise of his glory. And he's our wisdom, he's our righteousness, he's our sanctification and redemption. And not only is that true, but so too, notice this not this not only speaks of his holiness, but so too of his power. For these two are coupled together, both his holiness and his power. And the believer will praise him in his mighty power and the power of his holiness. For whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth. The one who is holy is almighty, and he has all power to save you, sinner. He has all power to save you, sinner. All power. And that, not almost, to the, but to the uttermost. I love all the blessed details of the gospel. Some of you may not be aware of this wonderful verse in Hebrews chapter 7, but I'd like to ask you to open up your Bibles to this verse. Hebrews chapter 7, and then verse 25. It says there, I'll, I'll begin reading in verse 24. It says, but this man, this is speaking about the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood. You know, I like, uh, sometimes you meet people who are Roman Catholic. You know, a lot of them are not practicing. I like to ask them if they have a priest. Usually I hear, <clears throat> I don't have a priest. I, I ask, I right away tell them, uh, I know about a good priest. Would, would, you like, would you like to hear about my priest? <laughs> There's no controversies. He's not caught up in any scandal. And uh, he pleases the Father. <laughs> You ever heard of him? His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> but this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 7, verse 24, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them. Uh, who's that, them? And Paul writes in another portion of God's word to young Timothy, a true and faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if this morning, by God's mercy and grace to you, has shown you that that is what you are and only are a sinner, I can tell you on the authority of God's word that God sent his son into the world to save you, sinner. He's not trying to save everybody. He didn't come into the world to call the, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And that's all his sheep are lost by nature, but he's going to find them all. And it says here, speaking about God's well-pleasing son, the only savior for sinners, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost, uttermost, not an almost savior, uttermost, completely and utterly, completely saved all them that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. What a gospel. <laughs> A Savior who doesn't almost save, but the true Savior who saves sinners to the uttermost. And so we see here in our portion, not only His holiness, but His power. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and earth. The one who is holy is almighty, and He has all power to save you, sinner, and that to the uttermost. You see, these two, His power and His holiness, are married together. We read in Isaiah chapter 63, Isaiah chapter 63 says there, in verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? 
this that is glorious in his apparel, travailing in, in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, and it sets forth there ever so blessedly how that the Lord Jesus Christ is mighty to save. You see, he's holy, but so too, beloved, he's also mighty to save. He's the holy, mighty Savior sent of the Father into the world to save sinners. In Matthew 20, 28, the risen Lord says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel. And in John chapter 17, verse 2, he sets forth how that the Son of God has power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as the Father has given him. You see, he has all holiness and all power. He's the mighty, holy Savior of God. And if he's not almighty, if he's not sovereign and holy and infinite in wisdom and power, then we have absolutely no hope of true salvation. You see, my friend, what it takes to save a great sinner is a great, almighty, holy Savior. And beloved sinner, he's God, our Savior, the very one whom the Father sent in the world to save sinners. Um, how fitting that uh, at the beginning of our time together, we sang uh, Amazing Grace, that well-known hymn by uh, John Newton. And uh, when a friend came to John Newton upon his deathbed, he wrote the following in his journal. When I saw Mr. Newton near the closing scene, that was kind of a just a poetic way of saying, when he saw his friend John uh, upon his deathbed, near that time to depart, he, he records, he was un, hardly able to talk. And all I find I had noted down upon my leaving him is this. And this is what John Newton's say, uh, friend says his, his words were at the time he visited him. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. That's true, beloved. That's true. I know two great things, that I'm a great sinner and the Lord Jesus Christ is the great Savior who shall save them. Beloved, praise Him in the firmament of His power. Praise Him in the sovereign expanse of His almighty strength. Truly, it is a blessed thing that in our God, holiness and power are united together. You see, power without righteousness would be oppression, and righteousness without power would be too weak for usefulness. But put the two together an infinite degree. And in, in, when I say infinite degree, there's no way to adequately, like words fail us to describe his power. All we can say is what he said. Would you like to hear what he said about his power? I've already made mention of this, but it needs to be reminded to all of us here. I'm not here as uh, some gifted speaker. <laughs> I'm not here to sound eloquent or wax bold or whatever they say about speakers. I'm here as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ to repeat his words. <laughs> and uh, I love all the bookmarks we hear from God's servants. They're useful, aren't they? You know, one brother said, since I've heard the good news, I haven't heard any bad news. What a wonderful bookmark for Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, the called according to his purpose. Listen to the power that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of. At the very conclusion of Matthew's gospel, the risen Lord Jesus Christ said these words. He said, all power. <laughs> can you can you even grasp that? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What an encouragement <laughs> to go and preach the gospel. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I also quoted from Matthew, John 17 in his great priestly prayer. He says the same thing. He repeats it. All judgment has been committed into the Son's hand. And in John chapter 17, he says these words. He said, and, and John the evangelist is recording here 
for our eyes this gospel record of these facts. How that when the Lord Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. How come? That he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And then he tells us in verse 4, Father, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. On the cross of Calvary, he says, it is finished, finished. And in glory, he reminds us again, <laughs> it is done. Again, power, <laughs> power. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And remember, this is speaking to the elect of God. Now, you might get nervous about that language, but let me remind you who the elect are in Scripture. They're sinners. That's all they are. It says in, in here in verse 5, we are kept by the power of God. You know, some of you maybe were enjoying the evening last night looking out at the sky. Maybe this morning you got up early and you look at the trees and you see the birds, you see all creation. Our Creator, beloved, the eternal Son of God, the one who keeps us living in this very moment, every breath is from Him, we're kept by the power of God through faith, through, through Christ, through the faithfulness and uprightness of God's never-failing Son, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How come ready? Because it is finished. How come ready? Because it is done. I'll come ready because, beloved, you are complete in him. And so we see this, this blessed reality, how that holiness and power have been put together to an infinite degree in God our Savior. Beloved, he put the two together, his holiness and his power to an infinite degree, and that describes our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our God and Savior, who is infinite in power and in holiness, infinite in holiness and in power. We read in Psalm 62, beginning in verse 11, it says there, Psalm 62, verse 11, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. For thou renderest to every man according to his work. Power and mercy. You know what sort of power and mercy that is? That's sovereign power. That's sovereign mercy. Remember, he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then salvation is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Aren't you glad he has all power, beloved? And that he's our holy God and that he saved sinners in such a way that he is a just God and Savior. And that he is both just and the justifier of those who believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the glorious mystery of the gospel revealed. How that almighty God can be just, holy, and righteous and yet be a just God and Savior. Look there at verse 2 of Psalm 150. Verse 2, it says there, Praise Him. Again, praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise the Lord for His mighty acts. We read in Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol Thee, my God, O King. I will bless Thy name forever and ever. And every day will I bless Thee. I will praise Thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works and shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts and I will declare thy greatness. The greatness of our God. Praise him for his mighty victorious acts. Now, uh, two things come to mind. His mighty act for us and his mighty act in us. And certainly his substitution, his incarnation, his resurrection, these are mighty acts for us, are they not? And salvation is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Salvation is the mighty act of God for us. Salvation is the mighty decree of God decreeing salvation for us. We read in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 9, it says there, For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Did you hear that, beloved? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. See, that's his mighty act, is it not? His mighty act for us, beloved. God hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. You see, salvation is God's mighty act for us in electing grace. Who did the choosing? He chose us. We did not choose him. Election is of grace, and it's of his mighty act for us. And had the Lord not chosen us, we would never have believed the gospel. That's right. If the Lord had not chosen us, we would never have believed the gospel. We never would have loved him had he not loved us first. Salvation is the mighty act of God for us in electing grace and in redeeming mercies to us in whom we have redemption through his blood. He obtained for us, beloved, eternal redemption with his own blood to the praise of the glory of his grace. You see, it's his mighty act for us. It's not that we acted or even reacted. Rather, he acted for us in the way of mercy, in the way of salvation as our substitute, as our surety. And then his salvation is a mighty act of us, of grace in us. Not merely for us, beloved, but ever so blessedly in us. For, beloved, Christ in you is the hope of glory. His mighty act of grace in us, and we call that regeneration. We call that being quickened from the dead. You hath he quickened who were dead, but now he's made us new creatures in Christ Jesus. Beloved, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we read in Philippians chapter 1, there in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, will finish it. Remember, what God starts, beloved, he finishes, and that until the day of Jesus Christ. He's saved us, he is saving us, and he shall save us. See, what God begins in grace, well, that'll end in glory. God, who began a good work in you, will finish it until the day of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And then, if you look in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, verse 13, we read there, it says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure making us new creatures in Christ Jesus, revealing the gospel unto us. And then turn to Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 1. We read there in Galatians 1, verse 15. And notice Paul doesn't give us one hint that somehow salvation was according to his calendar. <laughs> salvation is according to God's calendar. And today is the day of salvation. It says in verse 15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me. Notice, not, not to me, not a heady knowledge about it, but ever so blessedly in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. My friend, his salvation is a mighty act of grace in us, making us new creatures in Christ, revealing the Lord Jesus Christ unto us, imputing unto us a justifying righteousness. We read there in the latter part of Romans 4, verse 6, and we've, we've, uh, we've read this many, many times, but it's, uh, it's worth repeating. And it's, uh, it's, it's safe for us. It's safe for you. It's safe for me, for me to repeat these blessed portions of God's Word. It says there in Romans 4, verse 8, or verse 6, rather, David describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. And also imparting to us a divine nature that is holy, that cannot sin because it's given of God. 
And yes, we have that old man, that old nature, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And yet, in regeneration, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And it's a new holy nature that cannot sin. Uh, turn to Ephesians, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4. It says there in Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, Paul's speaking here about the two natures, the nature of the old and old man and, and the nature of the new man. And, and he does that in several places. But let's read Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 24. You see, beloved, we're partakers of a divine nature, as Peter puts it uh, in 2 Peter 1, 4. And Paul writes in verse in Ephesians 4, verse 24, uh, he says there, uh, put on the new man. Beloved, put on the new man, which after God is created. And, and remember and, and notice it's God that creates something that wasn't there before. He creates a new holy nature and imparted to, to you in regenerated grace. So he writes here, Beloved, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness. And I love this blessed detail. <laughs> and true holiness. It's not pretended holiness. This is the true holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a holy nature that cannot sin, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We read in 1 John chapter 3, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. You see, that's speaking of the new nature that cannot sin. Now, the old man, that flesh, does nothing but sin. But the new nature, it's a true holy nature, and it's given of God, and it cannot sin. For you see, it's a divine nature, and that's what God imparted to us in the new birth. Now back to Psalm 150, again, uh, verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him for His mighty decrees. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Beloved, all things that our great does, or our great God does, are done according to His excellent greatness. Oh, the multitude of His greatness. We read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Beloved, He shall, shall supply all your need. All your need. You see, it's all according to what God has done through the doing and dying of His Son. And we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, how that He gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from the, this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And then it says in verse 5, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, beloved, this is the bottom line in what whatever is calling itself religion in our day. Whatever, whatever purports to be religion, this is the bottom line. Who gets the glory? Who gets the glory, man or God? And beloved, you know it's God Almighty that's going to get all the honor and all the glory. For all things are done according to His excellent greatness. We read in Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Beloved, everything about our God is exceeding great. His person, he's our great God. His love, his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sin. His salvation, his salvation is by his great mercy. And we read in Psalm 145, verse 8, it says there, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. God is great. That is, He's the greatest. And He's greater than all. So great that all persons and all things are little, yea, less than nothing before Him. It says there in Isaiah 40, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. All nations before him are as nothing. 
and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. All right, back to Psalm 150, verse 3. It says, Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Everything God has created, beloved, everything God has given unto his creatures, all things are to one end and one purpose, and that's his glory. Now, when he mentions here all these different instruments, the trumpet, the psaltery, the harp, the timbrel, the stringed instruments, the organ, and the loud cymbals, now, that does not mean that our worship service ought to sound like, you know, like a rock concert, you know, like a, a rock concert of ungodly men, or that we should try to make gospel songs sound contemporary, or to try to make them sound where it would just suit the world's fancy, or try to make them fit this world's culture. You know, they try to take the gospel songs and put them to rap music or, or rock and roll music, and then they try to appeal to the young people. Well, that's absurd. It's, it's ridiculous, is it not? I mean, music is not a neutral thing. Can you imagine somebody trying to write the precious gospel of our Lord and God's blood and righteousness and try and sing that to jingle bells? Can't be done. Can't be done. Now, all instruments can be used in a way to honor our great God. That's why they exist. And David played the harp before the before King Saul, and he did it in such a way as to magnify and honor his God. And Saul was happy about that. And so truly, all instruments can be used in a way to honor our great God. The piano, the organ, the guitar, they can be used in a way that honors our God. That's why they were created. And gospel preachers of the past, they put this question in their congregations. This is what they put to them. They, this question, what is the chief end or purpose of man? Well, the chief end and purpose of man is to serve God's greater glory, to serve God's purpose and to enjoy him forever. That's why it says in verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Everything that breathes. Where do they get their next breath? I mean, if God doesn't give you your next breath, your, your flesh is dead. So let everything that has breath, let everything that lives, moves and crawls and inhabits this world, praise the Lord. And remember, we read in Acts 17, verse 28, In him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. And so you see, everything ought to praise the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And so every living thing created ought to praise the Lord, and believers do. But this is especially true of those made alive and quickened by the Holy Spirit. For it's only a believer that's been made a new creature in Christ. And each child of God, they truly praise the Lord and worship Him in spirit and in truth. What a day it will be when all things in all places unite to glorify the only one true and living God. This will be the final triumph of the church in Christ to glory, glory of our Lord God. For we sing that song in, in Revelation, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, both now and forever. Amen. At the conclusion of the service, sometimes I hear people saying, uh, it was a good message or thank you. That was a blessing. But you know, I was especially blessed when someone recently said to me, thank you for preaching the word of God. You see, I'm not here to direct you to myself or remind you of myself. My leadership is leading and directing you with one purpose in view, and that only. And I trust no one will be upset with me if I steal the words of my brother to emphasize the point. God's word is preached from this pulpit that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name, that you might give him all the glory. You see, it gets down to who gets the glory in this thing. And I really believe that the litmus test for every sermon that's preached, does the sermon that's preached, does it give man some glory? Does it let the creature glory in the flesh? 
Or does it rightly give all the honor and all the glory to God alone? Remember that last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1? And I'll ask uh, Tyler to conclude our time together in a, in a chorus, and then I'll have uh, Brother James uh, conclude the service in a prayer. But in uh, 1 Corinthians, and I trust as you're leaving this auditorium this morning that what you've heard just now isn't, isn't foolishness to you. Why would I say that? Why would I say that? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we read this, this solemn, solemn observation. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit that's moving our brother Paul to write these words. This is the Word of God but it is uh, something solemn to observe. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And in that portion it says, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And then we remember this last verse, it says, but of God, verse 30, but of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. How come? That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So, beloved, as we read in this last verse, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Amen.